There we go. Good to see you. Big welcome to you all, especially if you're visiting. Glad you're with us. As you can see from the uh, presentation we've just done, we're looking at prayer during this season. And uh, as we've said kind of regularly, the idea isn't simply to kind of say, come on, we've got to pray more. The idea is to simply look at this thing through God's word and see what it can teach us about the importance of prayer, why we should pray. I'm just looking at some of the stories in the Bible where it's clear that prayer made a difference. And also, just from the title, kind of prayer equals life, wanting to convey this isn't just for occasional moments or meetings, but actually what prayer is talking about is describing our life with God and what it means to know him and follow him. Now, this morning... Um, we get to do what has got to be one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, I, I've kind of thought, what would be a top ten? I don't know, because there's so many. But if I really had to, this would be in there. And we're going to look at Elijah, and when uh, he challenges the false prophets and calls fire from heaven. That's a dramatic story. For those of you already nodding who know it, um, it will come up on the screen. I'm going to read the whole thing. I'll make some comments as we go. And then particularly... Th- we're going to look at, well, what does this teach us about prayer? There's a huge amount in this story that we could look at, but we're just going to zero in on prayer. So I'm going to pick the story up in verse 16, but just give you some background. Um, Elijah has uh, been sent from God to challenge the current ruler in the land and God's people because they're worshipping other gods. They're worshipping a god called Baal, um, which is a false god, and they're really compromising on their faith. And Elijah has come along, and by praying, uh, has said to the king, said to the, the rulers, there's not going to be any rain now. It's not going to rain. God's going to withhold rain because of uh, your behavior, because of your idolatry, because of turning your back. Uh, and that three year that lasted for about three years, and we're just coming to the end of that three-year period when this dramatic story takes place. And suffice to say, the rulers uh, of Israel uh, aren't terribly happy with Elijah because he's caused trouble for them. And so he gets this nickname um, in the story, just comes up a few verses ahead of this, Troubler of Israel. Um, he's not a troubler of Israel at all, he's a mouthpiece for God. But even God's people aren't welcoming him because of all the hassle that he's caused. So he's not the most per- popular person. Um, there is a, if you like, if we were to put this into Hollywood terms, there's a contract on his head. If anyone could take care of Elijah right now, um, then Jezebel, who's one of the rulers, and then Ahab, would be very, very pleased with that. So that's the backdrop. Um, and Ahab is about to go to, uh, sorry, Elijah is about to go to Ahab. You kind of think that's a crazy thing to do. Um, when they hate him so much. So, verse 16. Obadiah, who is on this occasion the messenger for Elijah, went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands, and you're following the Baals. This was another god that they would worship. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. Bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, that's another god alongside Baal, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Jezebel is Ahab's uh, wife. They kind of rule together. So she's really in with this false idol worship. So Ahab sent word throughout Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long 
will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal's God, follow him. The people said nothing. Elijah said to him, I am, <coughs> I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces, put it on the wood, but don't set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God. I'll call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He's God. That's pretty dramatic. Cue dramatic music right now. Moody clouds in the background. Sun goes behind a cloud. The whole scene gets dark and tension goes up. Ooh. I mean, just picture this. Because we know what happens next. We kind of think, oh, yes, it's fantastic. Now, Elijah is just setting himself up here. We'll just do a sacrifice to each god. This is easy. We'll sort this once and for all. We won't have any theological debates. We won't have any arguments. We won't go back into what's happened before. I won't bother with the history. I won't bother with all the stories of what God has done for you. We'll settle this once and for all on this mountain today. Whichever God answers by fire, that's the one we'll follow. Deal? Deal. Ooh. Not sure I'd be up for that. Not sure I'd be ready to stand in front of thousands of people and put it on the line. And so one day you're worshipping Baal, another day you say you're God's people. One day you'll kind of do some of the rituals that God gave us through Moses, another day you'll worship Baal. Make your mind up. It's up to you. Which way do you want to go? Here's how we'll settle it. Here's how we'll see which one's powerful, which one's alive, wherever fire comes down from heaven. It gets even more dramatic with what Elijah does to make his point. The people said, what you say is good. That's how deluded they were. They really did think there was a chance that Baal could answer by fire. Elijah said to the prophets, choose one of the bulls, prepare it first, since there's so many of you. Call on the name of your God, don't light the fire. They took the bull, given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of, the, of Baal from morning till noon. Baal answer us, they shouted. There wasn't a response. No one answered. They danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder! Surely he's a god! Maybe he's thinking, meditating, or busy. The word busy in the original means he's going to the toilet. In fact, it means something stronger than that, but I won't tell you what it really says because some of you will be offended. But that's what Elijah says. Busy, it says here. In a more traditional translation, it says going to the bathroom, believe it or not. Maybe he's relieving himself. I mean, Elijah is really mocking. He's really staking it up. Guys, you've been wandering around this altar all morning, shouting, screaming. Maybe he's deaf. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's deep in thought. Maybe he's on Facebook. Maybe he's watching YouTube. Maybe he's blogging. What is he doing? Come on, shout louder. Where is your God? Why is he not answering? Maybe he's in the loo. They shouted louder. I mean, it worked. <laughs> Maybe he's traveling. <laughs> Maybe he's sleeping. Must be awakened. They shouted louder, slashed themselves with swords and spears. It's comic and yet tragic at the same time, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed. They continued their frantic prophesying until the time for evening sacrifice. There was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come over here, come to me. 
they came to him. He repaired the altar of the Lord. So there had been an altar, a place where people had worshipped before. that had been torn down, so he fixed it. He took the twelve stones, one for each of the tribes, the from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name will be Israel. With the stones he built an altar to the name of the Lord. He dug a trench round it large enough to hold two seers of seed. That's just a big measure of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the board into pieces, laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering on the wood. Elijah, have you lost your mind? It's one thing to put a challenge up. It's one thing to call fire down, but to make the sacrifice soggy and wet, the thing's already impossible, to make it even more impossible, what are you doing? Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. Elijah's going to really make the point. If God's going to come through, God's going to come through big time. The wood is soaking wet. The meat is also wet. There is no chance of this being rigged. There's no chance of this being fixed. This isn't simply a magic trick. This isn't simply a stunt. Everything is at stake. If there's a true God, he will answer by fire. And if he's God, a few drops of water aren't going to stop the fire from falling. That's how convinced Elijah is. That's how confident he is. The water ran down the altar, even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Remember, we're focusing primarily on prayer during this series and therefore at this passage. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you're God in Israel and that I'm your servant and I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you're turning their hearts back again. It's a pretty straightforward prayer. Any of us could pray that. Any of us could say those words. You're the God that we've always known. That's what he's saying. You're the God of our fathers. And God, I've stood here and said that you'll do this. So please, will you do this, God? I've kind of set this up. And in the end, God, it's about you. People know that you're God. Stop messing around. Stop following false gods. God, I need you to answer by fire, and people will know that you are the true God. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil. No matter how much you set fire to a stone, it ain't going to burn. Everything's gone. Didn't matter how much water he put on. Didn't matter how wet it was. The meat goes, the wood goes, you'd expect that. But the stone goes, the soil goes. Wow. When you want to be there, when you want to see this, what a demonstration of the power of God. And it also licked up the water in a trench. I bet it did. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate, face down. They cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them. Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Elijah said to Ahab, go, eat, drink. There's a sound of heavy rain. The drought was coming to an end. God was turning the people's hearts back to him. 
and it was time for that judgment to finish. What a story. What drama. You can see why it would make it into a top ten. It's phenomenal. What a demonstration of the power of God. Let's pray for a moment. Father, this is phenomenal. This really happened. This isn't just a collection of stories, entertainment. Lord, we want you to speak to us. Some of us know this story really well. Others of us, it could be the first time we've ever read it. Lord, we want to know you in this. You tell us your word is living. You tell us it speaks. It's not just a history book or collection of stories. Holy Spirit, just you're already with us today, speaking to us, even sense your presence now, the awe and majesty of God. And Lord, we, I ask that for every one of us, we would hear you speak to us, and our lives would be shaped by you and your power and by your word this morning, please. Amen. So, it's a relatively straightforward prayer, pretty powerful, to the point. But my question is, how can you pray like that in front of all these people? How can you be that confident? How can you be that sure? How can you go out there on a limb like that and say, God, please, will you come through? It's one thing for us to be praying on our own in a room quietly. It's one thing for us to be calling on God to do things. God, I pray you'd really work in my office situation or in my family and praying for dramatic things. But to do this in front of everybody, to do this in a way that kind of puts God's name on the line, certainly puts Elijah's name on the line. He's already in trouble. If fire doesn't fall, this isn't going to end well for him. How do you get that confident? Can we relate to this in any way at all? Or is this just a story to be admired? Is this beyond us? Is this just something to be looked at from afar and think, well, that, of course, was in the days when the Bible was being written. It's all different now. Has it got anything to say to us? Or do we just admire it as something incredibly dramatic, incredibly powerful? But to be honest, you and I aren't going to get anywhere near that. You and I are never going to be in that kind of situation. We're not going to need to have that kind of confidence. It would be fantastic if it would. I'm not a great way to start a school tomorrow, guys. In the playground. I'm fed up with all your mocking me going to church. I'm fed up that you laugh at me believing Jesus. I'm going to settle this once and for all. Pile of paper. All the homework, all the books, be fantastic. It's all on iPads now. It doesn't work, does it? Anyway, just bear with me. All the textbooks, everything in. And then you need a sacrifice. Maybe a cat or something. I realize I've just offended everybody. I know. Rabbit, I don't know, anything. School pet. On the altar. Now come on, Jesus. Let them have it. Now maybe we could relate to it then. I'll come back to that a bit later. As to why we don't see God's power come his way. But... Maybe we, that would be the only way we could relate to this. God, if only you could do something that powerful in my office, in my uni, in my classroom, in my family. But, in t- but anything else, is there anything else in here this can teach us about prayer? Well, as I read that and kind of answered the question, looked at that question through the week, I kind of thought there are a handful of things here that, if you like, could be fuel for us praying, fuel to help us pray. We've already acknowledged through this series that one reason for looking at this is because we know prayer is a challenge for many of us. We know in the busyness of life, everything going on, that it's not always easy to get times to really pray and call on God. Or we can be snatching a prayer in the car, on the bus. Nothing wrong with that. Prayer is about relationship with God. It's not about meeting. It's not about routine. But in terms of how do we pray more? How do we intercede more? How do we call on God for things like this? There are things here that I think fueled 
Elijah's passion fueled his confidence, put him in that place where he thought, right, enough is enough. I want to see God do something. What were those things? Those things we can imitate. We may never be in a dramatic situation like this, but there are things here that you and I need to hear and that you and I can imitate. First one is this, a passion for the honor of God's name. See, that's what's at the heart of this story. When you look at, eight, when you look at Elijah's prayer, and if we can just keep, um, just find the prayer up there and put that one up for me. Sorry I haven't pulled it out separately, but just put that up. It's a couple of slides before that. Basically, he's saying, I want people to know your God. I want them to know you're alive. I want them to honor you. I want their hearts back worshiping you. Enough of this idol worship. For Elijah, what's driving this? What's driving this confidence? What's driving this audacity? What's driving this passion? What's driving this challenge? Is God, I want your name to be honored. I want you to be worshipped. I want you to be known again, God. That's what's driving this. That's what's behind this prayer. That's what's behind this confidence. Why should he be so passionate about this? Why should we care? Why does the honor of God's name matter? Well, quite simply this. God is good. God is righteous. God is pure. God is holy. There's nothing bad in God. There's nothing that comes close (coughs) in the world around us to the goodness of God at all. And even the word goodness is hardly enough. But if God is very, very good and pure and loving and righteous, then his name should be honored. There shouldn't be other names that are held up. Oh yeah, God's good, but these things are good and this is good and you should try this. And how about this? And if you want to worship something, well, yeah, of course there's God, but there's some other things you can... No, there is nothing else worth worshiping. That's the story that runs through the Bible. That's the whole point. That God is very, very, very good in every single way you can think of. Whether it's in friendship, whether it's in mercy, whether it's in ruling over things, whether it's in his power, everything God does is good. That's why the first command when he got the people together and formed Israel was don't have any other gods. I'm jealous. You think, why is God jealous? Why does that run through so much of the Old Testament? That God is a jealous God. Is he nervous? Is he insecure? Has he got a personality hang up? No, it's because he's good. He's jealous for his name to be worshipped because there isn't anything else that comes close to worshipping him. And if he's very, very good, he knows what's very, very good for you and for me. He knows how humanity works. He knows what you need. He knows what makes you whole, complete. He knows the things that keep your life going. He knows what will sustain you. He knows what's best for you. He knows every breath that you take. He knows every thought, everything that upsets you, everything that makes you feel good. And he knows what's going to make life work for you. And it's not always the things that you and I think it is. But that's a preach for another day. If God is good and perfect and knows what's absolutely best, then he should be central. He should be honored. That's what's motivating Elijah. Let's settle this. How long will you waver between worshiping Baal and worshiping God? Enough's enough. There's only one true God, and I'll show you by the one who answers by fire. Actually, he could have gone right the way back through the stories. The people had the, all the stories of what God had done. How he'd rescued them out of Israel. How he parted the sea. All the ways he provided for them in the desert. Story after story, but for some reason they've turned their back. See, what's driving Elijah is the honor and passion of God's name. 
There is no one else like him. There is no one else worth worshipping. There is no one else that can sustain us, fulfill us, make us live in the way that we were made to live because God made us. See, of all the sins that come up again and again, all the things, the wicked things that people do, uh, we see through the Bible, the one that God challenges the most is idolatry, having other gods. comes up again and again and again. You think there's an, an awful lot of wicked things that were going on and things which God does comment on and things which God does confront, but the one he confronts the most is when you worship something else because he's the best and he's the best thing for humanity. Fuel for prayer is God's goodness and being passionate for his honour. See, Elijah here isn't concerned about his own reputation. His neck is already on the line. Already they're seeing all the trouble of Israel. Already they're wishing he was dead. Elijah's, this isn't about Elijah now. This isn't about his needs. This isn't about his desires. This isn't a personal prayer for his blessing. This isn't a personal prayer for his circumstances or his situation. One of the things which need to fuel our prayers is that it's not about us, it's about God. It's about his honor. It's about his glory. Is God interested in us? Yes. Is he interested in what happens tomorrow? Yes. Is he interested with the things that are in your heart and trouble you this morning? Yes. I'll come on to some of that a bit later. But what passionate prayer is fueled by is honor for God and his glory and not how you're feeling or your life being made better. Because it's not about me or you. It's about him. And if you look to honor him and pray that he'll be glorified and he'll be honored in your family, in your situation, in your workplace, in your school, or how difficult it is with your mates at the moment, if you put God at the center of that and pray he'll be honored, you'll find that your needs soon fall into place. How many of us can give testimony to that? How many of us can say, actually, in the end, when we get the priorities right, an awful lot of other things fall into place? And we've got to keep hitting this one again and again because our whole, for us in the, in the UK and in the West, we've become so us-centered now. I know I've, we've said this before, but it's so important. And it's coming into the church because it's about us and God blessing us. There's a social media thing that went quote recently from a famous leader that went something along the lines of, if it's on your mind, it's on his mind. Talking about God and how God's interested in us. If it's on your mind, it's on his mind. And I read it and I thought, yeah, of course I get that. But that ain't the point. Let's see some social media quotes talking about the honor of God's name and his awe and his holiness and his righteousness. And see those get a few thousand likes rather than how God wants to bless me and how God's thinking about what I'm thinking about. Does he? Yes, he does. But we miss the point. We miss it if that's what motivates us, if that's what drives our prayer life. What should drive our prayer life, our relationship with God, us talking to him, is the honor of his name. And so when you are then facing difficulty, hardship, pain, confusion, thinking, God, where are you in this? Your prayer should be, God, please, make yourself known. God, I don't want to miss you. I don't simply want this fixed. I don't simply want this to be different. I don't simply want you to bless me right now. I wish it was different, but God, I want to know you in this. Pray that way. Put him at the center. God, show me what you are doing. God, I want you honored in this situation. I want righteousness. I want to see good coming. Pray it from his perspective. 
doesn't mean you can't pray for yourself. It doesn't mean you pretend everything's all right and you're not struggling or finding things hard. No, bring all that to God, but in a way that says, God, it's about your honor, it's about your purpose, it's about your will, and not simply me getting fixed. Does that make some sense? So please pray for yourself. Please ask God to intervene in situations you're finding hard. But do it from the perspective of God's honor and not your happiness. I should put that in my notes so that North get it as well. (laughs) I've just got headings. (laughs) It's probably the best bit. I should finish there and sit down. (laughs) See, the other thing that fuels, uh, comes out of all of this is Elijah realized that sin, half-heartedness, the stuff that's going on around isn't okay. It isn't just how life is. See, we get immune to it. We get immune to the bad news stories. We get immune to relationship breakdown. We get immune to atmosphere in the office. We get immune to the stuff which is against God and can feel intimidated by it and can think, what can we do about it? And no one's going to listen. No one's going to take what we say seriously. No one's going to take what the church says seriously. And the church is just sidelined. That's just how the world is. Now listen, sin isn't okay. How the world is isn't okay. God doesn't want the church used to it. God doesn't want the church retreating because of it. God doesn't want the church losing its voice because of it. God doesn't want us staying silent and thinking there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I say that will make any difference. There's too many people against us. There's too many laws that stop us now talking about our faith or wearing a cross or even mentioning Jesus. So let's just hide away. Elijah wasn't accepting that as being okay. Elijah wasn't going to land in that place. Yeah, he put his life on the line. Yeah, he got everyone who hated him around him and put his life right in the middle and said, God, you've got to come through now because for me, no, because your name is at stake. Why? Because sin, wickedness and evil isn't okay. And God, Elijah wanted the people's hearts to see that. Turn them back to you, God. This isn't all right. This isn't okay. We can't one day say we're Israel, the people of God, and another day just worship this false prophet and dance in two temples and do sacrifices to two gods. It's one or the other, and it's not okay that this compromise is happening. Wake up! And things that fuel, fuel for prayer is knowing that sin isn't okay. And yet, maybe no one's going to listen to you. And it may be you are completely outnumbered. And it may be, well, it's not maybe anymore, the church is sidelined in many, many ways. I know that's not the whole picture. I know there's lots of testimony, amazing things God is doing. But broadly speaking, we are still the minority. People still don't really care what the church think. And it's still best if it's private and personal and kept to you. So yeah, there is very little you can do. But you can pray. You can call on God. You can do what Elijah did. It might not be as dramatic as that. It might not be as public as that. But you can still say, God, I want you to be honored where I work. God, I want you to be honored where I live. God, I want you to be honored in this nation. See, the devil will get us feeling that we're impotent and can't do anything. And we'll listen to most of it. And so our prayers go silent. We can pray, God, be honored again. And just as he answered it in Elijah's day, he'll answer it in our day. Fuel for prayer is a passion for the honor of God's name and knowing that sin isn't okay and that we may feel powerless, but he isn't. So we ask him to act. Next, fuel for prayer is knowing that God's entered the story. God steps right into the situation. God comes right alongside. We see that again and again in Scripture. We see it here. 
You see, you think, why, why, is we, why is God doing it this way? Why is fire got to fall from heaven? What's the big deal? Wouldn't it be fantastic to do that at school or at work or something else? Now, the reason why God's doing it here is because Baal, one of the things he was known for was the God of the thunderstorm, the God of lightning. So if any God can make fire fall from heaven, it's Baal. That's the point. That's why Elijah is setting this up. Okay, you believe in a God that sends fire from heaven. You believe in a God that controls the weather. You believe that God can light the, in a God that lights the sky up through lightning. So we'll do that test. You can call on him for as long as you like, and we'll see if he sends lightning and fire from heaven. And he doesn't. God enters right into the story. God comes right into where the people are. And says, you're believing in a God who sends fire? I'll show you which God sends fire. Do you get it? Do you get what's going on? That God is playing on their terms. God is coming right into their story, right into their situation. Fuel for prayer is knowing God walks right into our stories. He's not far away. He's not removed. He's not distant. He's not looking on. Suddenly think, oh, Steve's praying. Um, oh, hang on a minute. Um, just wait, all right? I've just got to deal with this. I've listened to him for ages. I'll get back to you. Oh, Gabriel, I need a better PA. I can't keep up. Now, God enters into the story. God will enter right into your story this week. Sometimes we can't always find him. Sometimes we can't hear him. Sometimes we think, God, I'm not even sure that you're there. But he enters right into the story. Of course, we see this most fully when he became Jesus and stepped right onto earth and lived amongst us. That's the God that we worship because he's good, because the honor of his name is at stake. So he's not going to sit far back and just lobby in the occasional prophet or the occasional rule. He enters right into the story, and Elijah knows that. That's the basis of faith. That's where Elijah's faith comes from, in a God who acts, a God who will step in, a God who will work. Now, I know there's mystery. I know there's confusion at times. I know there can be doubt when you think, but God, I prayed for healing, and I really thought you would, and it would have been so good for my family, who are so against you, and I know even more against you because she died of cancer, and I said I was praying. Yeah, there's pain, and there's mystery, and there's confusion. But our praying cannot be driven by, by circumstances. It must be fueled <coughs> by the character of God and his goodness and who he is and the fact that he's a God who steps into the story. And I don't know why, and some of you have heard a bit of our story, not time for it today, why sometimes God works and there's a miracle and another time it doesn't. I don't know why when I prayed for one of our kids to be healed and they weren't and they died. This happened years ago, so there's not time to go into all the detail. And yet another child was healed. I don't, I don't know that why. But I did know God in it. I did know God with me. Oh, wouldn't it have been fantastic at work if our, if our boy had been raised up? Oh, wouldn't it have been a, been a story? Oh, it would have been a fantastic story. I've got no idea why God didn't do that. But he's still God. And he's still good. And he still brings healing to broken hearts. Because he enters into the story. And fuel for our prayer is a God who hasn't abandoned us or needs persuading or needs his arm twisting to act or is busy or is relieving himself or is on a journey and all those things Elijah said. The whole point is maybe your God's doing all of these things. God, if you're there, answer by fire and turn the people. Whoosh! Fire comes because God steps right in. Feel for praying 
is knowing that God will step into your story. Knowing that God can step into your school, your workplace, your family. Sometimes he'll step in and will just give you strength to keep going. Give you energy to keep believing while it doesn't change. Other times he steps in and there's a dramatic healing or, or dramatic rescue. We've got testimonies that we heard one a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Of a phenomenal healing from cancer. But other times it's not like that. But God is a God who steps right into the story and walks with us. Next thing from this story, God can do anything. <laughs> Pretty straightforward. See how deep that was. I had to read so many commentaries to get that one. <laughs> Understand fire from heaven and water and the chemistry and the physics. And God can do anything. God can do what he likes. When he likes. Bang. God can come. Keep believing it. Even in the mystery, God can do anything. God is all-powerful, almighty. There's no situation too locked up that he cannot open it. There's no situation too dark that his light cannot shine. There's no pit too deep that he can't pull you out of. There's no mountain so huge that he cannot flatten and find a way through. There's no enemy that can shout, stamp, and war against him because he has defeated them all. God can do anything. There is no power, no law, no principality, no government, no boss, no restriction on finances, no limitation, nothing at all that God has not overcome and will will not overcome and will not work in your life. He can do anything. And let that shape and fuel your praying. Yeah, there can be doubt. Yeah, there can be confusion. And that's where we're heading in a moment. But only after we realize fire falling from heaven, stones getting burnt, soil disappearing, water getting licked up. Yeah, easy for God. Why? Because he made them. He can break the law of physics. He made the laws of physics. He can get substances to burn up which shouldn't burn up because he designed it in the first place. Nothing is too hard, too difficult, too much for a challenge for him. For some of you this morning, that's all you need to hear. You've had to wait about 25 minutes to get there, but that's all you need to hear. Do not settle for this is just how it is. It will always be like this. It always has been and it always will. Nothing can change. God can change it. I don't know when. I don't know if he's going to do that right now. I don't know if he's going to keep giving you grace and strength to keep going, but he can change it. And if he isn't, he can definitely give you grace and peace and strength and mercy to keep on going because he can do anything. And if he's put you in that situation, as it says in the New Testament, he will give you everything you need to get you through that. Everything. He's not left you. He's not abandoned you. He steps into the story, either to change it dramatically or to give you everything you need. And Elijah knew that. Elijah wasn't standing in front of this altar thinking, hmm, I wonder if God can do this. Oh, I didn't think that one through. Can God send fire from heaven? Can God burn this up? Can God, was I a bit foolish putting all that water on? Oh, wish I thought that one through. No, he knew. He was convinced. He knew the stories. He knew the history. He knew that if God could part an ocean and get his people through and drown Pharaoh, he knew that God could answer. He knew that if he could provide for hundreds of thousands of people in the desert food every day, then he knew he could bring fire from heaven. You and I have got story after story after story in his word and testimony in our lives about the power and majesty of God. Just like the people of Israel in this story, we can forget too easily and too quickly and be more overwhelmed by current circumstances rather than letting God's past faithfulness remind us that he can break in in a moment's notice. And that's fuel for prayer. And sometimes we have to wake ourselves up and remember what he has done. 
rather than only thinking, I'm facing this at the moment and I can't see anything else and God isn't working and what's the point of praying and what's the point of asking him because nothing is happening and he doesn't bring this down. Look back at what he's done. Look forward at who he is and then pray. And that gives you fuel. Where is his power today? Why can't we walk into the office or uni and with fire coming from heaven burn up? Whatever. I can see some of you thinking, please don't say cat again. Because actually God has done something far, far more powerful than that. When he raised Jesus from the dead. That's the testimony of God's power, ultimately. That's the story of what God has done. And that's what the New Testament comes back to again and again and again. In the book of Acts, you see them preaching about Elijah and fire, about people being led out of Egypt. No, about Jesus, the Son of God, being raised to life. And the New Testament tells us that God's power that did that is working in you and me. There's a paradigm shift here for us because you kind of think, I'd love God to do that with my neighbors. I'd love God to do that in my workplace. But actually, God says, I've done something even more powerful and even greater. I've raised Jesus to life. And that resurrection life and that resurrection power which is in him is now in you. Wow. If this wasn't a message on prayer, we'd land there for the rest of the morning. But that fuels our praying. Even greater power than what caused fire to fall from heaven. The power that raised Jesus to life is the power that's now working in you. See, this is how God demonstrates his power now. Yes, there's still miracles. Yes, there's still breakthroughs. Yes, there's testimonies of what God has done, unchanged situations powerfully. In terms of how God is displaying his power now, it's through rescued lives. It's through people who were against him and hated him and turned from him and only knew anger and bitterness and unforgiveness who now know love, mercy and grace and can forgive one another and care for one another. This is the most powerful community in Birmingham at the moment along with every other church that loves Jesus. That's true. It's how the New Testament plays it. It's what Paul keeps teaching about. It doesn't go back to. In fact, in Corinthians 3, he says that the glory of the old, like Elijah's doing here and Moses and other things, the glory of the new is even greater than that. You and I are filled with the Spirit. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, that the covenant of the Spirit, what he's given us now, is even greater than what Elijah knew. It's amazing, isn't it? Fuel for prayer. Honor of God's name. Sin isn't okay. God enters into the story. God can do anything. His power is working in us. One more thing. I'm going to finish with this. You can put the verse up from James, please. Elijah comes up again, letter to James. The church that James is writing to are going through persecution and difficulty and hardship. And he's talking to them about faith. And he says a few things to them. And then he says this. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Nice and straightforward. Thank you very much, James. What's he saying? Elijah was a human, just like us. See, we can read this story about Elijah, and I can get all passionate up here talking about fuel for prayer, and the honor of God's name, and having faith and believing that God can do anything. And we can still think, yeah, but it's far away from us, Andy. I'm just, I'm not there. I'm not in that place. I'm not going to get that confident. And with what I'm facing at the moment, it's pretty hard. I have prayed. I'm kind of hanging on. And we can miss what James is saying. Elijah 
was a human, a person, a man, just like us. In other words, he knew frailty. He knew weakness. He knew what it was to be overwhelmed. He wasn't necessarily someone that just walked around, calling fire from heaven every time he wanted it. A few verses later, he's hiding, facing depression, thinking he's the only one left. Even after this, he's hiding in a cave because he thinks it's all been pointless. You see, fuel for prayer isn't about strength. It's not about confidence. It's not about clever words. It's not about thinking, I know what God's doing now and I'm going to declare it. <clears throat> Passionate prayer comes much more from a place of weakness, much more from a place of frailty, much more from a place of helplessness. See, Elijah actually knew there was no other way. He called <coughs> for God to stop it from raining and still the people weren't turning to him. There'd been other miracles. He'd raised the dead. Still, people weren't turning to him. He knew God had to show himself. Fuel for prayer is utter and complete dependency on God. It's not about our strength. It's not about our energy. It's not about us making it happen. And if I want you to hear anything this morning, I want you to hear that. That it's not about going home and thinking, right, I've got to really, really pray, really, really try hard. No, you just simply got to cry out to God. You've got to simply be dependent on Him. That's what prayer is. Coming and saying, God, I can't do this anymore. I need you to work. God, I can't see you breaking out in, in the office. I, I'm trying to do everything I can, trying to love people, and Lord, I need you to come. God, in the situation I'm facing, I just need you to keep giving me strength, God. I need you to break. It's not a resignation. It's not a kind of a fed up, last ditch, no, all right then, God, over to you. Still faith, but it's faith that says, God, I'm dependent on you in my frailty and in my weakness. I'm dependent on you. Will you come? And in the end, that's what's at the heart of this story. Because the people weren't dependent on God anymore. They thought they'd worship some other gods. They thought they knew better. And Elijah wanted their hearts turned back to him. Because he's a God who is good. He's a God whose name and honor counts for everything. And to be a praying people, the greatest thing that should fuel our prayer is dependency on him. God hears you. God knows you. He just wants you to turn to him. And to stop trying so hard, or to stop filling your life with other stuff, or to stop going from one thing to the next, and to hit pause, whether that's for an hour or for five minutes, and to say, God, I want to see your name honored. I cannot do this, but you can, and you can do anything. Step into the story, God, and turn people's hearts to you. That's passionate praying. Amen. Let's pray.